If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's radio fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Robin Myers, senior minister in one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Dr. Robin Myers. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the 12th chapter of Genesis, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here ends the reading of the word inspired by God. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Wordsworth wrote a poem once that begins, The world is too much with us. Late and soon, getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Little we see in nature that is ours. We have given our hearts away, a sordid boon. The sea that bears her bosom to the moon, the winds that will be howling at all hours, and are upgathered now like sleeping flowers. For this, for everything, we are out of tune. It moves us not. When I first read that poem, I was an undergraduate English major at Wichita State University taking my father's introduction to Victorian literature class. Another student in the class raised her hand to make an announcement. Today is the first ever Earth Day. Many of us looked at her as if she were crazy. The Earth doesn't need a day, we're thinking to ourselves. It's doing just fine. But of course, it, it wasn't. Rivers had become open sewers. Smog was choking our major cities. We had not yet considered the possibility that we were heating up the planet, but we, it was beginning to dawn on people who were paying attention that we had to live differently in relationship to the natural world from which we can never be separated. What we knew, in short, was we had to change our way of living, and change is difficult for human beings. There is something very comforting about doing things the way we have always done them, even though, of course, we've not always done them that way. It's a powerful thing, this desire to sort of freeze the world at some single frame, to put this in old movie terms, back when we shot movies on film, and just enjoy the illusion that we've arrived at our destination and no further traveling is necessary. But I'm afraid that only happens when we die. Until then, change is the only constant. 
Take the mother and father of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, Abram and Sarai. They had not yet been renamed Abraham and Sarah as a sign of the covenant. They're nicely settled in Haran. He is 75 years old, and God tells him to gather up all his stuff and go out in search of the promised land. Really, at 75. At 75, I think that all I'm going to want to do is organize my stuff in the garage. (laughs) Besides, Abram has done well. He has lots of stuff. And doing well can make change even more difficult. The more one leaves behind, the harder it is to leave and leave all that stuff behind. Who will know my name if I go to a foreign land? My reputation. The lyrics of that 80s sitcom, Cheers, had it exactly right. Everybody wants to go where everyone knows your name. If God asked me to go, for example, right now, I would say, what about the red cup? Can I take the red cup with me? I never realized how much of scripture is about our desire to stay put and God's desire for us to go. Permanence and impermanence is the constant theme in scripture and faith is not about what you believe, but whether or not you are willing to take a new name on the road to a future you cannot see. Life is a journey, take it. Don't just do what's convenient, do what is compelling. Plastic, for example, makes our world convenient, a small continent of which now floats in the Pacific Ocean. Anthropologists think that someday future humans will refer to us in this period as the plastic people, those who made and then threw away things. I don't recycle, someone said to me once, too much trouble. I just want to put stuff in the trash and have someone come and take it away. As long as it disappears, I'm happy. But it doesn't disappear. Have you ever wondered what it would be like if people took their religion so seriously that when they were baptized, in the case of the church, they actually changed their names? What would you call yourself after you'd been called by God? Most of us, I think, would just keep our old names Change is difficult. Refusing to change can be deadly. If you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, you know that like most of us, they wanted to settle down, have a normal life. It would be a lot better if we heard more about Sarah in this story, but we're stuck with a patriarchal text. We know that Abraham's a hero as a sort of wandering man of faith, but what about the spouse of the wandering man of faith? Is she supposed to just pack up everything and follow him wherever he goes like a good wife? Granted, they were rich, but they were also childless. And in that world, to be without a child, without an heir, made one poor, no matter how rich one might be. What's more, Abraham was old, and Sarah was no spring chicken herself. They sat in their tent and looked at each other and in the brooding silence that stretched between them wondered why, why God had chosen not to bless them. They had the nursery all fixed up, ready to go, the crib, the little mobile stretched over it for visual stimulation, and a color scheme, a mixture of pink and blue, just to be safe. And yet, what stretched across all of it was cobwebs. When Sarah went to the back door and called out, everybody come to supper, 
it was only Abraham. One day he goes out for a walk to think things over, and God says, look up at the stars, Abraham. Count them. He says, oh, I can't do that. Too many. I'm I'm paraphrasing here. And God says, neither will you be able to count your descendants. There will be so many. And look at us now. Here we are, the children of Abraham, Jews, Christians, and Muslims. We are billions now. But Abraham doesn't buy it because he's old and not feeling, how shall I put it, particularly potent. So why does his faith make him believe in the shape of a future he will never see? Well, that's what faith is. It's a deep transrational trust. I trust the future I will not see to forces I believe are stronger than death, even though those forces will soon sweep me and you and all of us down the river. So he went back to the tent and he said to Sarah, guess what? And she said, oh, don't start on that. We're going to have a child thing again. I'm paraphrasing more here. And he said, I'm not starting on that again. I'm just here to tell you God said it's going to happen. And you can't blame her for doubting this. Maybe she really wants to say, well, God told me that I should tell you to just be happy with the way things are. And by the way, six goats have gone missing, and it looks like a storm is coming. But according to the story, she does something women have done for centuries when caught between the implausible and the indelicate. You know what she did. She laughed. She laughed. And so when their impossible child was born, they named him Laughter, which in Hebrew is pronounced Isaac. Our youngest son, Cass Isaac Myers, the unexpected one, has that same middle name for that same reason. Now, if you're a metaphorical thinker, I think the deep lesson of this story is the tent. We all live in tents, truth be known, no matter how large our houses, how firm the foundation, how copper the pipes, how well insured the roof. We cannot, in the end, as Kierkegaard put it, secure ourselves against our own insecurity. We all live in tents. Impermanence is not the exception, but the rule. Life is a trip, not a destination. Well, that sounds good, preacher, but I think there's a case that can be made for some permanence. I mean, you, Robin, have certainly been here a long time, and rumor has it that you build fences that are so massive they can take a direct hit from a tornado. Besides, living in a tent can be fun as long as it's temporary, right? It's like camping. Camping is fun because it's temporary. After a few days or a few weeks when everything gets damp and soggy, you just want to go home, take a good long hot shower. Camping is fun only if you know that camping is temporary. Tents are fun as long as you know that's not your home. Ask any refugee what living in a tent is like. When Congregationalists use the word pilgrim, they're not just referring to those early separatists who sailed over on the Mayflower and during that first harsh winter probably wished they'd never left home. We are referring instead to wanderers on the earth, and that describes all of us. We're all wanderers on the earth. We're pilgrims. We may try to disguise it. Maybe we refuse to draw up a will because we're too young, too young to worry about a will. 
or just watch the seasons carefully. God gave us Oklahoma as a living laboratory of meteorological impermanence. (laughs) Thank you, Will Rogers. Don't like the weather, wait five minutes. Now, it's been beautiful around here. October, early November, this is my favorite time of the year in Oklahoma, Indian summer. But it won't last. You know it won't last. Soon the north wind will bring down what's left of the leaves and pile them in a heap against the back fence. The winter sunsets will turn the trees into shadows like black antlers begging the sky for cover only to receive a blanket of snow. And the flying clouds and the frosty light and the year is dying in the night and then a flurry of firecrackers at midnight and someone says, Happy New Year, 2018. What? That can't be. What, what happened to 2017? Or maybe lately, thank goodness it's over. <laughs> but it won't last. Before spring break, the Bradford pears will lead the march into the spring miracle with their outrageous blossoms and their overwhelming odor. And then the red buds will change overnight into their electric fuchsia dresses and the wind will blow up storms and we'll watch the sky and listen for sirens, but it won't last. Then it'll turn hotter than Hades and the air conditioners will hum and the grasshoppers will drag themselves over the cracks in the earth and the roads will shimmer and the tar will melt and people will say, whew, it's a hot one, but it won't last. August will turn to September and the cool breezes will blow and the school bell will ring and the sound of early morning band practice will float over the stockade fences in the morning. As we're swept up into the rhetoric of football, the true religion of Oklahoma. (laughs) But it won't last. See, we're back where we started from. We are tent people. And if we don't fight it, if we can just feel ourselves instead floating down the river without trying to jump out or paddle backwards or lash ourselves to a tree, it's a blessing. People know this when they realize that in an instant their children have grown up. How did that happen? Cass, the youngest boy, was a gangly, sweet, burr-headed little boy yesterday. Now I dare not arm wrestle him. He can bench press me. But it won't be long before even Cass, young Cass, will stumble around in his own front yard as if it were a foreign country. He loves making fun of me because in a restaurant without my glasses, I can't see the menu or pay the check. But one of these days, even Cass will look into the face of his best friend and say, uh, I didn't get the name. We all live in tents. We don't like it. I'm sure there were many nights when Sarah said to Abraham, Honey, is this the place? I'm so tired of paper plates and styrofoam cups. Can't we just stay put, get out the good china, develop some equity in the house, stop throwing away money on rent? Is this the place? And if that was Sarah's question, then our question must be, why has this model of transience of uprootedness, this wandering in search of something permanent, why has this become the model of faith for millions? 
The answer might be that the very thing that drives many people to cynicism and despair drives other people right into the arms of God. It is this very transient nature of things that makes some people say, well, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. While it makes other people say, for what does it profit a person if she gains the whole world and loses her own soul? I'm doing a little more updating here. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I understand uh, cynicism. I do. Humans do strange things. We, we water our grass so it will grow, so we can cut it, so we can water it again, so we can cut it again. Or take houseworth futility of futilities. You gather up dirty clothes, wash them so you can make them dirty again, so you can gather them up and wash them again so you can make them dirty again. Now, why do we spend so much time and energy cleaning up the house when the only way to make sure it stays that way is to lock it and go stay in a hotel? Abraham started out looking for the perfect piece of real estate, but the longer he wandered, the more he kept his ear tuned toward things divine, the more he came to realize it wasn't a place he was looking for at all, but a city whose builder and maker is God. There is so much in all of us that resists change, and not just old people either, we all do it. We all want certain things to sort of stay as they are forever. We do it in church. Not so long ago, though thank God this is changing, the search committee said to the young minister who was a candidate for the pulpit, that was a marvelous sermon you preached, and during this interview, you have demonstrated strong faith and an obvious commitment to the ministry, and, and yet that's why it is with mm, great regret that we must say to you, you are just not the right minister for our church right now. And she said, why? It was not that long ago when I was a child that interracial marriage was illegal in Oklahoma. Not 1966 until then, but an interracial marriage gave us the 44th president of the United States change. We fight it, even when we know that it's part of God's plan. Robert Louis Stevenson said, to travel hopefully is a better thing than to arrive. And Thornton Wilder wrote, everyone's always talking about people breaking into houses, but there are more people in the world who want to break out of houses. We are all pilgrims on the earth. Some of us just adjust to it better than others, but there's no running from it. In fact, what some people think of as painful dislocation after painful dislocation, other people call that growth. Think for a moment about the things you once thought were important, say, in high school. They've changed, haven't they? And the saddest thing in the world is a grown man who is stuck in high school, still running around trying to take state. or whose only identity is his athletic career, or his fraternity, or his illusions about how desirable he once was or still thinks he is. The past is important and must not be forgotten, but it's not a place. It's not where we live. God is forever calling us out of wherever it is that we live and have gotten too comfortable and into a future that God has in mind. God's word is go, go. 
Not in search of the perfect vacation or the perfect relationship or the perfect body, but in search of the peace that passes all understanding. I returned yesterday from two days in Northern California, a place I'd never been called Auburn, where I gave two lectures at a Jesus seminar on the road event, one about Jesus the subversive and one about Jesus the resistor. I know, shocking. (laughs) But something happened after one of these lectures that convinces me that these trips are not just worth it, they're part of what I'm called to do. During the break, a tall, rangy young man approached me during this little recess, and he looked like he was in his early 30s, and he said, Dr. Myers, my name is Gregory. Oh, I said, are you Gregory the Great? Just, you know, making some easy conversation. And he said, depends on who you talk to. (laughs) I I just want you to know something about Mayflower and its outreach. I was a fundamentalist in my 20s, living in Tampa, Florida, and preparing to be a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Then I stumbled upon your website and the sermons, and best of all, the podcasts. I started listening to you, and then to you and Lori, and over time, I discovered an approach to Christianity that I did not know existed. I am now finished with my master's, am a progressive Christian minister here in California, and am enrolled in a doctoral program at Claremont. Gregory then looked at me intently and said, Those podcasts, they changed me. They called me out. They sent me packing. I have not been able to stop thinking about this, and it made me remember when we were first struggling as a church about having cameras in the sanctuary or the equipment to record the sermons and make podcasts, and we said, that's not who we are. That's no good. I said, we really need to hire somebody who can do this, like Rick Bolin. (laughs) Without Rick, this doesn't happen. Well, change is hard, but look what happened. Life really is what happens while you're making other plans because we live in tents. Life, it's a tent city. So fold it when you hear a call and keep moving. Give the future the benefit of the doubt. Remember, we don't live by the rule of Descartes, cogito ergo sum, I I think therefore I am. We live by something far more risky, more transient, and more redemptive, amo ergo sum, I love, therefore I am. Go where love calls you and fear not. The French have a proverb that says it well, To leave is to die a little, but we know the alternative is worse. To never leave is to be dead already. T.S. Eliot said it best, we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the first time. I give thanks every day for this remarkable church and its remarkable people. We are all traveling on the good ship Mayflower, but we're not sitting in the port. We're pitching our sails to catch the wind so that we can be on our way to wherever 
It is that God wants us to journey. To do this, we will love for the sake of love itself, and we will plant trees under whose shade branches we will never sit. Because in the words of that great hymn, time, like an ever-rolling stream, soon bears us all away. We fly forgotten as a dream fades at the opening day. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, still be our God while troubles last and our eternal home. Someone asked me once if Mayflower Church had a motto, a tagline, or perhaps today a hashtag. I thought for a moment and I said, well, if we did, I think it would be this. Here we go. And there's room for all of you. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Dr. Robin Myers, Senior Minister of Mayflower Congregation on UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services every Sunday are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., with adult education classes at 10 a.m., and a full church school for all ages is available during the second service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, a block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.